<laughs> get us thinking. If you had uh, the ability, or let's say the option, to know uh, how you were going to to die, um, or when you were going to die, would you want to know that? Yes. Yes. Okay. If you could pick how you're going to die, uh, let's go down that route. How would you? How would you want to die, Tim? In your sleep. Okay. Like if a if a tree fell on you in your sleep, you'd be like okay with that. <laughs> What about Kit? Good beheading, or I don't know, is it burned at the stake? Yeah. <laughs> I always pass out of the sight of blood, so I figure I might as well be martyred because I'll be unconscious anyway. I'm like, what are those painting jokes? He's very stoic. Are his eyes closed? I don't know. So. Uh, took a turn that took a turn um so what about okay so if you could if you had if you had to know one or the other when or how what would you want to know when when, when? <laughs> <laughs> i don't know all the what ifs the what ifs we don't even get to like to to know so um anyway well that's kind of where we're going a little bit. Um, to, that's, that's kind of the questions that the Thessalonians had and probably other questions as well. Um, and we want to, you know, that's kind of what we're going through is understanding the day of the Lord. Um, and so as human history gets towards its end, whenever that is, I mean, if we said, are we near the end? Yeah, there's, different, there's different passages that say, like, we're in the last hour, like, John says that in First John. Um, so what does that mean? But uh, how, how we get closer to the end, um, Scripture describes this kind of time of judgment as the, the day of the Lord. And it's also a time of salvation. And so there are clear signs about when it will occur in case someone's worried he or she has missed it. And that's kind of like where, uh, you know, where we were turning our attention in the first few verses. And we'll... we'll Go back and look at some of those verses again, um, at least the first five verses. But I went to the Old Testament, we went to Acts, and just kind of like looked at um, the way that the day of the Lord has been maybe understood, or even Jesus' return, what that was going to look like. Um, and so, uh, as we ended, uh, Becky had asked, you know, should we as believers fear judgment? And I think that's kind of a good question to ask. Like, if we're talking about judgment, and it's this terrible day of the Lord. As believers, you know, what should our thoughts be? So, I don't know, what are your thoughts? What are your thoughts about the day, day of the Lord? You're like, can't wait? Uh, I think the, the uh, statement that there are clear signs of the day of the Lord is that 
clear signs. There have been clear, clear signs for 2,000 years. Now, every generation has thought that the end, the end is imminent. The end is coming. Yeah. The chicken little thought the end was happening. You know, so we all think that, but we're still waiting. We're still waiting. Yeah. And there, are, and it's kind of that's actually kind of interesting. There's like if you even think, you know, pull away from in Isaiah's day, right? He was he was saying judgment is near, and what were all the prophets saying? Yeah, like it's all it's it's all good, right? You know, we're we're God, we're blessed, and so yeah, there's there's peace, and so you've got kind of like that narrative that sometimes is seen, like even in our day, right? Some people will say like, no, everything's fine, like. Everything's great. Everything's uh, no. I'm saying, but there are people. I'm not saying you're saying that, but people will say that, right? There's even like, there's even benefit for. Uh, I feel like every time I talk to our stockbroker, he's like, our financial advisor, he's like, yeah, the market's all. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. So I mean, I'm like, I was just thinking the last time I was like, it's probably not to his advantage to be like, pull out your money now, you know. Uh, so uh, not that that's how he's operating, but you're like, there's clear like bias in some people to say like, hey, everything's fine. Like, don't worry. You know, uh, I, think, I don't think the police want to say, hey, there's chaos. Like, everything's good. Right. So there's there's that. Um, but where do we often get messages of like things are going uh, in a bad direction? You get the self Yeah. Did you watch I did not watch it, no. I think every one of them were all experts, and I think they were all wrong. I mean, a dark horse number three comes roaring out of nowhere. Wins. I mean, we were just watching stuff. We love to see the horses run. But all the experts, you weren't experts. Yes. That's right, but there's lots of them, right? There's, there's, you know, news networks devoted to people who, you know, uh, talk about those things. So there's definitely, you know, some people you know, we'll say one way or the other. And so if you're, uh, you know, whatever you want to buy into, whether everything's uh, doom or everything's just great. Um, so the question is, well, then how do we know and how should we as, as you know, believers in this world know? Because there are people who will say these things outside of, of uh, Scripture. It's, it's from their own interpretation of the signs and the way things are going. And people have been wrong, right? I don't know, if, you know. People have been wrong. I mean, was it going to rain this morning? I'm always like, I don't know. There's a better chance, but the last few times the storms have missed us. So we'll see. So when we talk about the judgment, you know, so what, again, should our, should our thoughts be? Um, the first is that judgment is to be feared. And so Philippians 2, when we went through Philippians 2, I'll just read a few verses for you. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, right, we, and we looked at this, this chapter, um, I don't know, a couple, a couple months ago. At some point there is this time of judgment, everyone will, will bow before the Lord. So then what was Paul's like then response? He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, right? This is the idea is that even as believers, like we're working out our salvation 
Um, there's this, this understanding that, like, you're certain, but continue to, like, work out that you're certain that you're certain. And so because we are always just filled with doubt um, because of our flesh, we're surrounded by people who have this message. And so continue to work it out. Make sure that you're in the Lord. Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So we looked, looked at that idea. So the idea of judgment, right, is terrifying and should, we should fear um, all those things. We should fear like heights. We took my daughter uh, zip lining for her birthday. Uh, have you guys done that? Um, it's it's fun, yeah, it's fun. So all the girls, you know, she had done it before, but all her friends, right, so she's 11, so they're kind of that age, it's like, they're all like, I'm a <laughs> like, I don't know if I can do this. And we're like, what? We just spent money on you guys. You're going to do it. Um, so, <laughs> but, but they start out a little bit low, and so there is this fear, right? You should fear, like, if you're 40 feet up, that if you drop, then, you know, you will get hurt. Um, and so we should fear kind of these dangerous situations. And so we should fear, again, some of these possibilities. Not like terrifying, paralyzing fear, but we should have an, an understanding of what that truth means. And for, for a lot of people, judgment is, is that. On the other hand, right, um, the day of the Lord is salvation. So this salvation that we have as believers should be trusted. Uh, John 5, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So this idea that we will you know, not be in judgment, but we have this eternal life. And so like a safety harness, and it's all, all these analogies are going to you know, break down at some point, um, or however we are trained in, in dangerous situations, right? If there's a fire, we should usually like stay away from a fire. But if you're trained to go into a fire, you, you're aware of the danger and you get more accustomed to that. And so we trust in our protection. We trust in Christ. And then that fear is reduced. So yes, we should have a fear, but that fear is reduced because we are trusting in Christ's salvation. But there is a reality, though, that we all, believers and Unbelievers will give an account. Romans fourteen seven. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And that seems very positive, right? You know, hey, it doesn't matter. Um, for to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. And then Paul says after this, so why do you pass judgment on your brother? So very kind of different passage that he's addressing. He's like, hey, if we live or die, we're the Lord. So it's like. You really should have no fear. But he says, um, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of you, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And so what that looks like, though, you know, we'll be understanding. So we should have also an understanding of like in light of the fact that we will be held in account. It's not the understanding that we will be judged whether we are saved or not, but we will give an account for all that we have done. And he talks about in First Corinthians that everything that was worthwhile for the Lord is going to be saved and everything else is going to be burned up, that we kind of have that understanding in our minds. And so should we uh, kind of go back to the question, should we fear judgment? I think, again, it's like yes and no, right? Like uh, A healthy understanding of that, but also understanding that Christ has... Um, 
paid for our salvation, and we will not be judged for that. So, uh, like the reward that we get in heaven, um, yes. So, I'll say it's it's like unclear uh, specifically like what that's going to look like. But right there is. There is the parables of the talents and the understanding, like, is that an earthly talent or is that a heavenly talent? Is it the things that, the rewards that we have? And how does that look? It looks like we'll have different roles. There's different levels. I mean, Jesus talked to his disciples about judging on thrones. And so there's kind of like some reading into some of that, that it seems like that might be the case. Um, So I would say I lean towards that, but it's not definitive. Unless there's a verse that I'm, I'm missing. But that's kind of like what I'm, you know, my understanding of that. There's no like, you know, yeah. Um, and if you have ten tickets, you get to redeem them for the prize of your choice, you know, or the role of your choice. Like my father has many rooms. Are some rooms better than others? Did some have better views? You know, so um, I think all that right doesn't matter. We think in like earthly terms. But I think I, think I lean towards that, yes. Um, but uh, we'll find out. We'll find out. Should we strive to get more reward? Like, is our should our motivation be reward? Why not? Yeah, I mean, it, on one side it seems wrong, but on the other side, so why not? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost like, you know, the idea of, of uh, fruit, right? Um, you know, when, when I guess when Jesus is talking about the, the um, sowing of the seed, right? And so some will have greater seed. Uh, is that just statement of fact, or is that a desire if the Lord allows us to, to have greater seed? I mean, there is, there is kind of a, it's out of our control, but also in our control, like responsibility and and so I think there's some of that. And I do think like Paul uses some of these different ideas, right? How you live now or judgment or even reward on like how he encourages and comforts and motivates. And we'll even see that at the end of this chapter. But yeah, I would almost <laughs> agree of like, if you're looking at reward and you're like, oh, you're like almost even we looked at last week of, um, you know, in, in church with uh, the rich young ruler, um, right? You're like, oh, all of those I've kept, you know, like, so now I'm looking at like this next thing, like, how do I get eternal life? It was like, why don't you focus on the thing, <laughs> you know, the here and now. And so, yeah. So that's always a good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. Right. We're going to be so satisfied and complete and contented. You know, we may have some level of regret that we'll have to deal with because we 
Yeah. Yeah. So, simple thing, just pursue glory and honor for his glory. Whatever rewards based, you know, system that he has set up, we just will abide Yeah. And we'll we'll uh, we'll look at some of those things. Uh, we're going to get to when you know the end of Revelation. And so, as he kind of talks about the the new heavens and the new earth in just small terms, and what things have looked like for like what the future may look like, because I think right there have have been things given to us. So there's a little bit of speculation, but I think sometimes that speculation also is encouraging. And so we'll we'll talk about what that that looks like um, a little bit later. But for 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 the Thessalonians, I'll read those first few five verses again, and then just do a quick recap. Um, so in chapter two, we read. You know, the, the, the worry, right, is he's addressing their, the concern. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord, Jesus Christ, and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Right? So the coming of our Lord and the day of the Lord, right, those two things are together. We see that um, kind of being brought. And so... This being gathered together to him, we'll, we'll come back to that idea, but that's what they feel like they've missed. He says, let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Okay, so we saw last week, right, that the rebellion, this apostasy comes first, so this kind of worldwide religious turning. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 24, there will be an increase of false prophets. Paul told Timothy there would be an increase of, of evil in 2 Timothy. Um, but, right, this is a single, like, unmistakable event. Is it like a one-time event, you know, or is it like kind of this culmination, you know, of things that happen? But it's one thing that led up to it. So it's the apostasy or... That can be translated rebellion or even a revolt. And so that's, that's what we're looking at. And there's an article, uh, not a rebellion. So there will be lots of people who speak out against the Lord. And there will be, like Quinn said, you always see, um, even in our times, like people who are against the Lord. Um, and we might speculate, is, is this it? Um, we'll talk about that in just a second. The man of lawlessness is revealed. That's like the second thing. So this apostasy, this rebellion will happen. And then this man is revealed. Also the son of destruction. So it's a man, not a demon or an evil spirit. Um, and who acts against God's law. That's this lawlessness, right? And seeks ta- to tear down or destroy. That's the son of destruction part. Uh, Jesus used the term son of destruction to refer to Judas. So we kind of think somebody who's along those lines. Um, and uh, Paul uses the same term to refer to this man. So the question that might come to mind, and Paul goes there, is what, what will this man look like? Or what else do we know about him? And he says he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship. <clears throat> so we see kind of this anti-religion. Or maybe more likely this unifying like one religion that is against God. 
And some would even say that it appears maybe to look like it's for God, but it's actually against God, like some religions are, you know, anti-God, even though on the surface it may appear to be for God. But that's, again, this religious idea. And then last, so he takes a seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. So again, this kind of religious, you know, entity um, is kind of what we're seeing. That's what Paul reveals about who this person is. Uh, Revelation goes into a lot more detail. And so we looked at some verses last time. We'll look at a few more verses this time. One of the things that we get to, I'm going to show a quick video, um, is when you sometimes are armed with knowledge, then like we, we kind of look around us and, and want to maybe like speak into like, hey, is this true? So I don't know how old this video is, but um, I had to like dig this one up because I don't think it's, but uh, not that it's bad. Did I pirate it? No, it's on Facebook or so, you know, that's, that's where the link was that I found it. So <clears throat> I don't know if anyone's seen Sorry, sorry, Alan, you're <laughs> I, had to, I had to part some of the table. So did Jesus reveal the name? Have you guys have you guys seen this? Do you do you know who this might be? Okay, so I didn't. What's that? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, good. Thanks. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, we. Let's see here. Should have done a sound check beforehand. Let's see here. All right, somebody. Sound. The dramatic music is really actually. All right. If I don't get it, then I'll just play it from my laptop. There's always one of you guys. <laughs> oh, you know what? Ah, that's weird. It says that the video has no sound. Uh, anyway, well, let's see here. It says the video has no sound, but I'm like... Um, All right, well, it's fine. Is there any other no, what's that? All right. Yeah, so I, I'll tell you, but he says it kind of in a, kind of a dra- dramatic way. So, I, so he does have mostly text. So uh, essentially what he says is that in Luke, uh, Luke 24, let's start here. Okay, 
that I beheld Satan as lightning falling from the heavens. Okay, so Jesus says this in Luke ten eighteen, um, and so he says, if you do like a uh, a strong concordance, first he says it was written in Greek, but they would have spoken Aramaic. So you need to kind of understand that, um, like this is how they would have, how, what Jesus, how Jesus would have spoken, and so. Um, if you look at, let's see if he shows it. I think it's the word for lightning. Is I memorize this? Is uh, <laughs> so to for lightning is this word barak. Okay, so that's the word for lightning. I saw Satan as lightning falling from the heavens. Okay? So in in Barak it would have been lightning. He says that. And then if you go to the book of Isaiah and... Um, What's that? And you slip. Yeah. So I don't know if he shows the verses or not. I guess he's saying a whole lot more, but I'm just cutting to the chase. So. And so he says this verse is referring to Satan. And he says, I'll send above the heights of the clouds. I'll be like the most high. Um, and so this idea of, of heavens or the heights is... Uh, Wait for it. Is <laughs> Bama, yeah. So an elevation or height is Bama. And then if you use the prefix, which is a wow, and so those who've taken Hebrew, it's like an and or sometimes a transitional letter. They call it a, a wow. It's not also, you know, he says it can be pronounced oo or o. And so you've got this idea of uh, Barak, Obama, or Obama, as Satan. I saw Satan as lightning from the heights, or lightning from heaven, or Satan as lightning Barak from heaven, Obama. Um, and so he says, Does, did Jesus reveal the Antichrist in this passage? So is Barack Obama... The Antichrist. So, now, I don't say that to say Barack Obama is the Antichrist, but what you can do, right, is you can uh, you can read into right scripture that you're seeing, and then try to like say, hey, well, this is someone or something that is happening right now, and this is like exactly what Jesus revealed, actually. The video, it used to be on YouTube. I guess it's just been taken off. This is a, like a Facebook post. What's that? It's still there. It's still there? Okay, I, I searched to try to find it. So anyway, um, so if you want to look on your own, but actually that Facebook post is the only place I could find that video, and it's actually somebody kind of like saying how this is taken out of context. So if you want to read that, and I don't even think the person who's answering it is even like a biblical scholar. I can't, anyway, so 
<clears throat> I think he just says, I'm not a scholar, but I think he's just saying anyone could look at this in the context of saying what's happening in this passage um, and saying that it's probably not Barack Obama. But you never know. I mean, it's maybe it's a, I told you so um, for that. Now, could Barack Obama be an antichrist? Um, but is it this antichrist and the man of lawlessness and everything that is happening for that? I had another video, but I don't want to run into any other technical issues about, <laughs> I might play it, play it later. It's kind of more funny, but anyway, so, um, so let's jump into our study and I want us to kind of like, like think, you know, um, as we read scripture, where is it safe to, to read too much and where is it, sorry, is it ever safe to read too much or when do we have to kind of like, you know, um, hold ourselves back? So verse five because he's already kind of gone through like what the, the nature of the, the Antichrist looks like. So at this point, even if it was, you know, if, if Jesus had revealed it was Barack Obama, there has not been this worldwide apostasy that seems clear. And there has not been this like unifying religion that has happened, nor has this person sat in the seat of the temple of God claiming to be God in this way that Paul says it will be unmistakable. Quentin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Luther at the time would have would have equated this to the Pope, uh, and I'm sure there are others. Like I've heard Henry Kissinger, like people like 20 years ago, like um, more more than 20 years ago, um, would have would have you know equated to that. I'm sure there are. I just didn't go there. This was this was one that was in my memory banks that I had remember seeing. Um, but yeah, there are always those times where people say, hey, what we see right now is equated to um, what we're, how we understand Scripture. It even, and we'll talk, we're not going to get into this this week and probably even not next week, maybe, maybe in another, another study or something, um, how we even look at all of what we call eschatology uh, fits a little bit more in what we're going to talk about in Revelation. Um, is like, who are some of these people that are revealed? So there's some people that would say that Caesar, uh, at the time of the temple being destroyed, was the one, was this person that was talked about in Revelation, and it's this man of lawlessness. And so some people are, you know, that hold to, to that would say that it's not a future thing, it's actually that has already happened. The, the man of lawlessness has already been revealed. Um, and so... Again, let's get through this, and then we'll kind of unpack and, and discern. So that's, that's the other thing, too, is like there's a lot of things that when we kind of understand these things, Paul isn't giving all the details, and no one really is giving all the details. You have to kind of pull it all together, and even when you pull it all together, you're like, how do I make sense of all this? And so that's what we're going to try, uh, maybe try to do a little bit, little bit later. So verse 5, let's go there. Um, do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? Verse 6, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And you know what is restraining him now, so that he may be revealed in his time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. 
The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan, with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore God sends them a strong delusion, so that they may believe what is false, in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay? So we have to, also, we have to think of like, what is Paul saying, and why is he saying it? Why is he telling the Thessalonians now? Is it like, I want you to understand these things because I only want you guys to know and I didn't tell anyone else? Or is there things that like, you know, um, there's only certain information that he knows and only certain information that he's passing along. But what's the purpose of knowing the information in the first place? So first, is this new information? He answers, he answers that question. Verse 5, is this new information that he's telling him? Is this coming from the letter? No, right? So he says, remember, I told you all these things, right? And so why do you think he needs to address it again? What's that? They're anxious about it. Okay, they're anxious about it. Yeah. Um, they know, they sometimes, you know, they might forget. I mean, it's like, have you ever gone through Second Thessalonians 2 before? Have you read this chapter? I mean, why are we even talking about this? Why do we do Bible studies, right? It's like, for the, the, the obvious thing is like, we always have to remember, bring to our you know, hearts and minds. So some of it is for understanding, like, oh, I didn't know that. But most of Scripture is right there on the surface. We just kind of dig deeper, so then it digs deeper into our hearts. And so we can live by the Word instead of just being like hearers of the Word. And so that's, you know, Paul, Paul wants them to know because they're, being persecuted, and so they're perhaps doubting. Perhaps they're forgetting, but perhaps they're just doubting. But Paul is like saying, hey, I told you these things. Why are you forgetting? And so that's kind of like, like he wants to reassure them and remind them, um, you know, just saying like, do you not remember? And he even says, you know, later on, what is restraining him? Like he's even given more detail than he's revealed in the letter. We were like, Okay, you know who's restraining him, and you're like, well, like we don't. <laughs> Could you tell us who? You know, so there's things that we can infer, and we'll get to that in just a second. So Paul does say of the man of lawlessness, right, that he is being restrained, and then the Thessalonians know that. And so what could be those things that are restraining him? And so over, you know, over the course of history, there's been a lot of different um, ideas that have kind of been come up, you know, from scripture, from different scripture, like what is this restraint for uh, this man of lawlessness, this time that this rebellion is happening. And so uh, uh, John MacArthur in his study Bible gives eight different, um, different uh, institutions or people that it could be. One is, is it human government? If you're reading Romans 14, right, the government is kind of restraining force for, like, lawlessness, right? You have police, and you have, like, those that are overseeing it. So is it the human government that is restraining this man of lawlessness, and then the toppling of some sort of government will give rise to this new power? This vacuum is produced, and so somebody will step into that position. Possibly. Probably not. We'll see, we'll see what looks better. Um, Secondly, it could be the preaching of the gospel. 
in Matthew 24, 14, um, you know, Jesus says it is the, you know, as, um, well, I guess there's a few things. Uh, it is the, the preaching of the gospel or being of, of the accumulation of false prophets, right, will give way to all the things that he talks about in Matthew 24, where, you know, people will run to the hills and the son of destruction will be, um, will, will find himself there. And so is it the preaching of the gospel that is the restraint? And then when the gospel is taken away, then lawlessness uh, comes up. Is it the binding of Satan? Um, perhaps. Is it the providence of God? Is it the Jewish state? The Jewish state is coming from uh, looking at Revelation uh, 12 and 13. And so is it you know Israel and the, when Israel flees or the sun flees, um, what does that look like? And... Uh, you know, is that give rise to the lawlessness? Is it the church? Um, you know, Jesus said that we are salt and light in Matthew 5. And so is it the salt and light in this world that is causing, uh, you know, good and uh, people to be lawful until that's taken away, the church is taken away, then lawlessness will then be produced. Is it the Holy Spirit or is it Michael the archangel? Uh, some people think it's Michael the Archangel because in Daniel 12 and Revelation 12 and Jude 9, there's kind of these verses referring to Michael kind of in battle with Satan. And so is that the possibility? Um, so we'll get to perhaps what the answer is in just a second. But first, he says this idea, um, right? Verse 7, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's kind of an interesting phrase. So, why is lawlessness a mystery? Okay. And I would almost say, like, the mystery of lawlessness could almost be like, it's almost a mystery of maybe lawfulness. Um, if... What do we believe about human nature as believers? Okay. The heart is wicked. And until what happens, can we then obey Christ? What do we need? Okay. So we need this idea of like regeneration for that to happen. So without Christ, um, why does the world do any good? All right, and so there's a whole lot of practical like reasons you could you could come up with, you know, and that would be a question that even um, those that are atheists like often pose, like, well, why why do anything good? And there are all, there are definitely reasons for like why people say that they do anything good, but why like if no one's going to catch you, like why not just steal and like why not cheat and why not lie and why not do all these things? You know, if no one knows and you're able to get away with it, it's for your advantage. It seems like you know. Without, if there is no God, then there's no reason to do good. And there could be the hypotheticals like, well, eventually, you know, it's bad for society and, and kind of all of those things. I think that's kind of a question like that's, that's hard to really answer. But if you would say, you know, when Paul was preaching this, and we look now at like America, and even if you said like how, what percentage of Americans say that they're Christian or say that they believe in God or even worldwide what percentage of people are really atheists or agnostic compared to people who believe in a God, some 
you know, higher power. Um, if you look at, at Paul's time, like, how many would have been followers of Jesus? Not, not many, right? The church is kind of just starting. And if you add, like, those that are God-fearing as far as Jews, like, you have some more, but still not a worldwide dominance. And so the, the world is dominated at this time by pagan uh, gods and, and um, you know, in philosophies. And so they have their own reasons and justifications for why they do what they do. Um, but it's almost kind of like this, this, why is there any sort of restraint on just, like, total anarchy? And so those are all the questions. I mean, those are kind of the fun movies we like to watch, right? Where it's like dystopian future and, you know, things are just kind of like chaotic and, and crazy. And then somebody comes in and cleans up the mess. And, you know, we like that. We like justice. Um, and so it's, it's, you know, Paul is, is kind of saying this idea. And if we remember when we looked at Romans 1, we looked at like that over time, God kind of gives people over to the desires of their hearts, and so there is this kind of, you know, restraint that, that God lessens and gives up and allows to occur um, over kind of a period of time in a person's heart. And more in Romans 1, you see kind of in a culture. And we see this idea that Paul is kind of like coming back to um, when he looks at that. Uh, John in 1 John 2.18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you've heard, that Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are all not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is in the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. And so um, we see this idea again that like there will be a period of time and even times that we are experiencing where these Antichrists or those that are against God will be revealed, sometimes even within the church itself, um, that they came out from us. But we know the truth. But it's almost kind of this, this mystery of lawlessness, right, that... Um, there is any sort of restraint at all. And so it then, when this rebellion will happen, who is or what is responsible for it? So the, there is a what that restrains, we see in verse 6. It's kind of, kind of in this, um, it's not masculine or feminine, it's in the, in the neuter state, is this what. So that's why it's translated that way, that it's a what that restrains, is then later in verse 7, a he who restrains. And so sometimes we see the Holy Spirit being described as a what and a who uh, in Scripture. Because this idea of spirit can also be translated as, you know, man's spirit, like we all have a spirit, and we would say, so God's spirit or Christ's spirit, right, would be a what, but then the Holy Spirit is, we can grieve the Holy Spirit, and there's other verses that, the Spirit is given kind of a masculine um, uh, article in front of it. And so what is restraining is really the Holy Spirit, right? We looked at verses before that the Holy Spirit is in this world to convict the world of sin. 
And so the Spirit, the Holy Spirit even works in those that are unbelievers. They're not indwelling in unbelievers, but works in the world in unbelievers to do what is lawful. And so the Holy Spirit, we don't know what that looks like, but at some point we'll be, you know, we'll be out of the way or kind of step aside to allow this restraint to be gone and then Satan to advance and kind of do what he desires. So there's plenty of kind of views, again, uh, that people have. I think the one that you know, we hold in this church and most commonly is held is the Holy Spirit, and that's where, that's where I hold, and that's kind of the reasons why I see the Holy Spirit. But Paul doesn't tell us directly. He just says a what and a who, and we have to kind of infer from that what that looks like. So what happens in verse 8? What does Paul remind him, uh, remind them what will happen to the lawless one? Okay? So everyone will know. <laughs> and then... What's that? It'll be destroyed. And Paul doesn't give much detail, right? You know, and it's not this huge event. And even when we look in Revelation, I and mean, we see like a little bit more of like what will go on. So if you want to turn to Revelation 19, you can look at like what this looks like. But again, Paul's concern is just, is did you miss it? And he's like, there's going to be this rebellion, and there's going to be... Uh, this man of lawless, lawlessness that you will know, the son of destruction, and the t- temple of God, and be anti-God, and all of that. And so this mystery is even being revealed to you now. You know what this is all about, right? You guys know. <laughs> and, and so we have to infer what they know. And so he'll be revealed. So don't worry, you didn't miss it. And then he'll be gone. And he'll be gone because he'll be uh, destroyed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. So what happens when the lawless one is gone? Like how will he be killed? He'll be killed by, by whom? Who will who have appeared, right. So Christ's appearance will be also be a part of that as well. And again, Paul's just kind of going through these things. He's like, you already know this stuff. I'm just reminding you, right, of the highlights. We wish we got that letter in the in between that like had his or his cliff notes or his study guide. So if you turn to Revelation 19, Revelation 19, let's start in verse six, um, kind of get like the context of what's going on in Revelation. John says, "Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult in Him, and give Him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So what is what has just happened? What, what event has happened? There's a, yeah, this is kind of the marriage supper of the Lamb. Okay, so something that has been described in the past that would happen um, that... Uh, would have happened with, with 
believers in heaven with the Lord. So this kind of event has just occurred. We might, we might get to that a little bit later, uh, but I just wanted to show context. John in verse 10 says, Then I fell down at the feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Verse 11 So after that happened, then I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. Okay, so what does verse 15 say? From his mouth is what? Okay, so a sharp sword, and so which is going to strike down the nations. Um, on verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called to all the birds in the, that fly directly overhead, Come gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. So if this was like this movie, you would see like a whole bunch of CGI like characters, you know, like all like amassed, right? All the world amassed for this great war. And Jesus is on this white horse and he's got this like sash over him and this name written on his thigh and he's got a sword coming out of his mouth. What does that look like? And we'll, we'll talk about that in just a second. And so, and the beast was captured, verse 20, and with it the false prophet who is in the presence, in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive in the lake of fire that burns with sulfur and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. Okay, dramatic kind of dreadful scene, but essentially like how does it end? Is it like a mighty battle where like the whole army of the Lord is like pulled up swords and there's catapults and there's, I don't know, lightsabers or whatever thing, like, like whatever, like, you know, thing you could think about, like what's, what, how does it end? Yeah. So it's like this, like, you know, everybody like beating their chest, probably like to make war and Jesus defeats them with the sword out of his mouth. And what is the sword out of his mouth? His word, yeah. Paul says it's his breath, right? His breath, like, captures the two. And we'll go, we're going to go this uh, in, in uh, either next week or the week after um, to Revelation 20 and, and get into that. Um, but with the word of his mouth, like, it's done. And pretty much everyone's annihilated and the birds of the earth feast, feast on their flesh. And so, like, would you see it any other way? It doesn't make for a great movie. I mean, who would watch the movie anyway after this point? But it doesn't make for a great, you know, movie but like if you think how was the how did the world come into being yeah just by the spoken word like everything came into life and just as a spoken word everything comes out <laughs> you know he defeats everyone right there is no like close battle it is like 
you know, Jesus against everyone in the world, Jesus wins. Like, not even a contest. And so that's the picture that everyone, you know, that, that revelation leaves us to understand, like, who that is. And so when we look at Second Thessalonians, you know, and, you, and Paul's just, again, rattling some of these things off, and, and, you know, how much he knew, you know, revelation that had come to John when he wrote it down, I don't know how much, like, in any of those, you know, what he knew, or if he's taking Jesus' words and he has got an understanding about how he's describing these things, but he, he's saying, this is what will happen, right? And so verse 8, back in Second Thessalonians, the lost one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Like, it's just done and over with. There's like one more thing, but we'll look at like that another time. Verse 9, the coming of the lost one is by the activity of who? Satan. Okay, and so um, we could we could look at that. I'll just refer you to uh, Revelation twelve. Um, actually, I'll just yeah. I, don't know. I got I got lots of verses that I want to get to. So how we're going to land this plane with uh, a couple of verses left? Let's let's kind of like think about this because there's also like just the more you start digging, the more you're like, well, then there's this verse, and then there's this, and how do you want to pull it together? So. By the activity of Satan, and you can go to chapter 12 and uh, of Revelation, you see like what happened before Revelation 13, which we've already looked at, which is like the appearance of the beast, this man of lawlessness, this destruction. Well, in Revelation 12, the great dragon, who is Satan, was thrown out from heaven, and it was like, go do what you will. So you kind of say, like, Revelation describes this big event where, where God himself, and before Revelation 12... All of these um, natural disasters are happening on Earth, where you you know you hear of like giant hailstones, and you've got plagues, and you've got war, and you've got all these things happening, like the four horses of the apocalypse. Like that's happened already previous to that, and so things are bad, and then Satan is unleashed. Things get worse. So, so Revelation gives a clearer picture, clearer picture um, of like the the like the how extreme things will be when the day of the Lord will happen. And again, how much of that has been described to those in Thessalonica, we don't know. But Paul at least has given some information, like I've already told you some of the things that are going to happen. Um, and Jesus has given some of those details of what's going to happen. But it's Satan, right, that is thrown down from heaven, and then the beast appears. And Paul is just saying, the, you know, is saying, just that, right? It is by Satan that he can do these things. And we looked at Revelation 13, right? Um, verse 2, the beast, the dragon, uh, and to the beast, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. And one of his seams, heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound would be healed. There's things in Revelation that are described that Paul says, it looks like he's going to be doing miracles, and uh, we'll give him, you know, he gives him the power and false signs and wonders. So it'll be somebody who's like, like, appears. You got, you stop, we stop and ask the question. We'll, we'll end it with this. Um, Jesus came and he gave his, the gospel. But that's not all he did. Because what did he also do while he was here on earth? Right, he did miracles. And what was the purpose of miracles? We've talked about this like numerous times. The purpose of miracles is to do what? Yeah, it's to substantiate what he's saying, right? 
So if you don't believe what I'm saying, believe what I'm doing, and you see that I am from God. Well, Satan is going to do something similar as best as he can. Now, he can't, like, <laughs> he can't revive, he can't do those things, but he's going to do things all within his power to make it appear that this person is also a miracle worker. And people will say, oh, that guy must be from God, but they're being deceived. And they're being deceived because the Holy Spirit has been taken away. And we'll finish with that. We'll finish with that because I'll, I'll just leave with this, but we'll unpack it a little bit more. Um, all wickedness, verse 10, and deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to uh, love the truth and be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so they may believe what is false in order that it may that all may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There's a lot to kind of just unpack, and I don't want to just spend two minutes doing that. So it'll take five-ish minutes, but maybe a little bit longer. As we kind of think like through what that means, and then we'll just finish out the letter um, after that, because he finishes it in a kind of an interesting way, or at least this chapter. Um, but we want to put that in the context. So we'll pause there um, as we're thinking about the man of lawlessness uh, and thinking through kind of like what these things look like. But stepping back, right, he's giving all of this information to those in, in Thessalonica because they're concerned. And so he's trying to ease their concerns. But it's for our benefit as well. And we'll even talk next week about why even do this at all. Like, why, even, why did he even tell them about the day of the Lord? They would have had these issues, you know, if they didn't, were never even told that. <clears throat> right? Some of you guys who struggled in algebra, you were probably like, you know... Why do we even have to do this, right? If, if we never even learned this, like, I wouldn't even have to struggle over graphs or, I mean, who cares about the Cold War, right, in history? Like, why am I being tested on this, right? So why even give this information at all for them to just confuse it and forget it and misapply it and all that? And so we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit next week. All right, any questions or thoughts?